0: Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share.
1: So welcome to a special episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. So Chris Evans, Colin Collier, and Neil Gibson are graduate civil engineers who 40 years ago graduated from Nottingham Trent together. They all went on to enjoy very successful leadership careers, one in international IT, two in construction, building bridges, airports, railways, and power stations all over the world. As firm friends, they and a number of other colleagues from their class of 84 have stayed in touch for four decades. They are living, breathing examples of the importance for leaders and would-be leaders of maintaining a professional network, which is why we have invited them to join us here on the Nottingham Business School Business Leader Podcast to share their leadership insights. Gentlemen, you're very welcome back to Nottingham Trent. Thank you. Thank you. So, you noticed uh, any changes, Chris?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's great to be back in Nottingham again. You know, I've. I've been back a couple of times because my son came to Trent as well but yeah there's, there's definitely changes but it's very very familiar even though it's 40 years
3: ago Neil yeah I think just walking around this department you just see the amount of the amount of RT I not the, you,
1: where we're sitting now just, just clarify the point we're sitting in CBG the, yeah, but the we, School of Journalism
3: we sort of joke when we uh, did our civil engineering degrees we had a, um, a module of computer science and you'd sit at a little clattery keyboard <laughs> and you press print, and you just have to go and collect your printout the next day from the, the printing station. Yeah. So things have certainly changed. The next all, all day, for yeah. the, All for the better, <laughs> yes, for the next day.
0: Any changes for you, Colin? Trams. <laughs> um, trams, no, yes. No cars and trams. It's massively different. It's a lovely yeah. place. Oh, good. We've got to hear it. So. Let me go through you in turn. So Chris, now
1: you've worked on airport bridges in Hong Kong, nuclear power plants in Suffolk, railway tunnels, viaducts. You're now an MD at engineering company Volker Fitzpatrick. Uh, so what do you know now that you, you wish you'd known 40 years ago as you left NTU? That's
2: a great question, Mike. I mean, a couple of things spring to mind immediately. I think the first one is, is how to make money. You know, I think being in business, you know, clearly safety is number one for us. You know, the health and safety of all the people who work on our projects but after that making money it's something which i think you only really learn over time because um, let's face it in business if you don't make a little bit of money you know you're not going to be in business very long yeah. i think the second thing which you know you sometimes forget about is the importance of presenting every time you're in a meeting whenever you interject you're presenting yeah. you know when you meet a subcontractor and brief him you're presenting formal presentations and I don't think, uh, you know, reflecting back on being at university, I appreciated the importance of that as a real skill that helps you in business. Just thinking Chris,
0: we didn't get anything did we? I don't remember standing up and presenting once. I don't recall we did, no.
2: No, and it's a basic basic skill isn't it? So this is you
1: just left your own devices?
2: Yeah, Yeah, I don't recall any presentation skills courses at university but don't get me wrong we did what 27 hours a week of very intense technical Training, so we didn't have a lot of time to learn the, the okay. softer skills. Neil,
1: you've you've also worked on nuclear power stations, um, more recent, most recently with with, with Rolls Royce, um, lots of big railway projects. I'm sure we'll come to those. But um, I noticed that you were design manager on Millennium on the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. What do you know now that you wish you'd known?
3: Um, I, th- I think yeah, we, we left um, we we left with uh, we graduated with a lot of a lot of skills, so we'd go into to the business and, and use those skills um, what i don't think i thought about much at, at the time was the importance of innovation and change so you get to work and you do things the way you were taught to do them and you'd carry on do them the way you you, you were taught to do them but you didn't think about what's a better way to do them right. so i think um sort of the importance of innovation and for for our industry sort of um off-site manufacturing because of the sort of you know, declining workforce and the importance of of health and safety sure
1: sure now, now, Colin um, you are unusual in that you graduated as a civil, civil engineer but but you you um, uh, um, quickly moved out of that into nascent IT that's all IT very early in the in the 1980s you founded your own company then you moved into marketing subsequently financial services um, at one point you were director of a company printing the german bank notes so this, is, this, this podcast is all about um, uh, maintaining and building your business network. How has the, the business network that started for you at NTU helped you through your
0: career? I would say it's a bit like pensions. It's never too early to start. I'd say everybody right now just worked LinkedIn. Get on LinkedIn and link into everybody. Um, there's one of the, the, my buddies up here, um, his son came in to see, I used to work at one of the big four. And he came in for a day's uh, work experience. So I put him in the office and got him a half an hour with the office senior leader and said, just yes, make sure before you finish that conversation, you ask, is it okay to link in with you? She'll link in with you and you've suddenly got access to a thousand really high powered people. And he didn't actually do it. He's done well since then, but it's a great opportunity. So just linking with people, have a cup of coffee, try and then leverage their networks because that's where your next job's gonna come from. It's fundamental to moving on in business life. I think. And it's never too early to start. Absolutely.
1: Okay, good stuff. So, looking back at your time at NTU, and I'll come to you again, Chris. First, what what were, the, what were the most valuable things that you think you learned? I
2: think that basic technical grounding is invaluable. You know, while now in my position, rarely do I actually use the technical skills that I learned when I was at Trent. Is that
1: right? Yeah,
2: day to day. Because everything's think, moved on. I think it's all about people. It's all about mm-hmm. client relationships. It's about the people you manage and lead. Uh, But that technical background you've got in your gut, when you visit a project and you see what's going on, you've just got a feeling in your gut whether things that people are telling you are accurate and correct. And it's all that technical background that just allows you to sniff out where, where the problems are and where you need to concentrate your efforts as a leader.
1: Okay, so it was the building of your intuition, as it were.
2: Absolutely, and that's exactly what it is. It's just a feeling in your gut. When you go on a project, within a minute or two, you've sussed out. You know, is this project going well? Where might the problems be? Is it technical? Is it people? Is it client relationships? Is it money? Is it health and safety? It just gives you a really good
0: basic grounding for where to concentrate your efforts. Colin? It is just really interesting. We had a coffee before we came in here today. We were talking about the effect of COVID and lockdown and people coming through now. And I think you said earlier on, there's right, the fundamental difference between the, um, the intake after COVID and before COVID And it's remote working is exactly that, it's remote. So people aren't learning those skills. So the things that Chris was just talking about, that intuition, the dealing with people, the role model in the office, what I should or shouldn't be doing, you can't learn that on Teams, especially if the other person hasn't got the camera switched on. How are you going to learn that? So it's almost like a social experiment now. What's gonna happen in 10 years time when people lack that experience of the experience? It's, it's going to be great looking back in 10 years time to see how this works out great but perhaps daunting it's a social experiment yeah and um,
1: i've done 32 of these podcasts and i think in in a, in a different in perhaps in different ways but every single one of the people i've spoken to has talked about the importance of eq every bit as important as iq they say um you find that yourself Neil?
3: yeah i mean we were talking earlier i mean the the um, the, the TQ bit is the bit that we probably weren't, t- weren't taught at university, that you just develop that over time. Um, but it's, it, it's so important, especially in this day and age where you know, you want to co- encourage people to come to your, to your business. You want to encourage people to stay in the business. And if you haven't got those skills, people will leave. Yeah. So you need to have that. Um, can, yeah, I can, them,
1: can I be taught,
3: Colin? Can I be taught? It's quite interesting. So
0: we were, when we were 40 years ago, we were here. We were doing, as Chris said, the technical stuff. You're forming that base of the pyramid upon which you're going to build later on. Now, and then you go through. And then if you think about when you're at the gym or the football, the football club or wherever you are in life, you'll see leaders. And every single person in this room and also in life, they'll think, I know some good leaders. I know some not so good leaders. And they just jump off the page, whether it's Marino or or Klopp, whether it's Trump or Biden, whether it's Boris or, or Starmer, there's a whole bunch of different approaches to leadership. When the, the key thing is, I think for the EQ part, there's lots been written about it. It's basically, can you set a vision and can you get everybody on the bus? Are we going in the same direction? Do you want to get there? That's what leadership is versus technical. But, but surely it's, it's, it's a bit, it's a little bit easier for
1: all of us of a certain age sitting here because we've developed it over decades. But for, for, a, for a, a, a business person in their, in their early or mid 20s, can they, can they develop it quickly so that they're not sitting back at 40 odds thinking, oh Lord, I wish I'd known that then. I,
2: th- I think for me, Mike, that, that for me is something I try to do myself. Look at people who are good at it, but also look at people who are not so good. And I think you learn from people who show a great example, but e- oh, equally people who don't show a great example. Um, and it's both. I mean, I reflect, you, you asked about um, you know EQ. I reflect on one of my biggest successes was leading the Blackfriars station redevelopment in central London. 500 million pound project, we had about 1,200 people on site, you know, constructing, plus a white collar staff of about 300, but I spend a lot of my time with stakeholders, because they didn't really want us there. The travelling public didn't want us there, so you're trying to construct something. Just
1: just, just, define that, sorry, just for people who don't know, why did they not want you there?
2: Well it was a live railway station which we were ripping apart and reconstructing, keeping the mainline railway live and the London Underground live. We were building the bridge across the River Thames, so we were affecting traffic in the river, <laughs> right, right. we were affecting the local road network, nobody wants people to build and disrupt them. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to win stakeholders over, you know, the local authorities, Southwark Council, the City of London, the Port of London Authority. So it's all about gaining rapport with these people, explaining why there's a bigger picture in terms of the benefit you'll bring when the project's finished, so please help us out and we'll minimise the disruption to you while we're constructing but it's winning those people over and influencing them. Nothing to do with technical skills, all about understanding people, you know, winning them over, gaining their respect and, and you know, getting them on board with your success. So years of tact and diplomacy. That's exactly what it's all about, tact and diplomacy and I think um, you can be taught it, but a lot of it is sort of inbuilt in you, watching other people that you've seen do a great job and
0: and mirroring them. Okay. It's also really high profile now we've just come off when this is being recorded just off the Tory conference and yesterday a pretty large um, statement was made about the um, HS2 and and the question is how was that handled in the marketplace how is it being communicated to people do people feel that's good so it's taking the stakeholders with us Chris was telling us an interesting story about HS2 whether you have it or don't you were telling us a story about HS1 Chris
2: yeah I I think it was interesting that um it was on the radio the opinion of a quite a very sensible industry leader in terms of Rob Holden, who led High Speed One, and he was saying in his view that it's overspec and that's one of the reasons why it's it's over overpriced. You know, it's proven to be more expensive than it was expected. I, I heard that
1: interview because he was the, he was the man who made who brought um, HS One in under budget. He did, and 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 on time. And he said well, they made two mistakes. Uh, the first one was um, uh, the first one was telling everybody how much money they had to spend to start with, and then it was polite. But the interviewer said, "And did they not pick the phone up to you?" And he said, "No, that was the second mistake." <laughs> See, no,
0: yeah. qualify, didn't <laughs> but uh, the point, I was the key one, was as you said, everybody went HS1, which is the London to um, Folkestone connection or Ashford. Um, they said that they didn't want it going back to the bridge, mm. and afterwards, guess what? Why didn't you do it? And you said about the M25, everybody in Swanley when you were doing it, it's an eyesore, it's never going to get used. And after the event, why is it built so narrow? Why didn't you put some more lanes there? So in years to come, we'll look back and was this a successful decision or not? I mean, time will tell.
1: Yeah. I'm going to come to you, Neil, because you were design manager on the Millennium Stadium.
3: Leadership challenges there? Um, yeah, there was. I mean, the Millennium Stadium was a, we're not particularly good... Good job for the, pro- the for the the company I worked for. So um, just to clarify, sorry, I do apologise. I should have said
1: Cardiff City Centre, Cardiff, yeah, replacing so the old rugby stadium. the old
3: Cardiff Arms Park, right. um, if, if you remember. So says so, so, a yeah city centre project. and The problem that our business had was the managing director was Welsh and he was a rugby fanatic. So we were bidding this project, and this this guy absolutely wanted to win this project, whatever. So he kept on, reju- I think there was two, two, two bidders in the end which were sort of batting off each other and he kept on and on reducing, reducing, reducing our price and we won it and we built it and we lost an absolute fortune. And that was purely, that right? purely because the managing director of Langsville Engineering um, was was Welsh rugby fan and wanted it.
1: <laughs> Is that right? So could, could it be justified on the basis of the fact that it was such a flagship project being associated with it was Worth a
3: fortune. Um, the amount of money we lost, it wasn't worth that. It wasn't really. worth
0: it, Okay. <laughs> I guess uh, anything in civils, it's low margin, isn't it? It's a large, Extremely large amount of money. Whereas there and are other high pe- risk. Yeah, and there are other people now in different sectors that will be much, much higher margin. And at the end of the day, you make it as you said earlier on,
3: Chris. It's a commercial decision, gut and science. But great to work on the project, though. Yeah. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. And, one and of those to See, I mean, it was built, if you remember, for the the 1999 Rugby World Cup and yeah. I mean I actually left the project to go and work in Dubai about um, I think it's in the February of 99 and I walked away thinking it wouldn't be finished because it was was severely behind program and fair play to the team they delivered it and the rugby world cup was held there which you might remember
1: yes yes yeah. I was I was working next door at the time coming to you Chris small small bridge in hong kong
2: yeah no i think that, that on reflection great experience you know i, I think i decided So, explain, explain uh, what the bridge was <laughs> so I, I worked on what was called part of the airport core program so it was a 430 meter cable stayed bridge that led to the new airport that was built at the time um called Chetlacock. Uh-huh. um and i i went from uk i had been working on second seven crossing big cable stayed bridge down in um Bristol to Wales. And so so
1: how, how, how big was that? Because I used so, to travel that every day. So what, That was
2: about the same, 400m span, okay. Cable stayed Bridge, decided international experience would be you know, good fun plus good on the CV, so I uh, went over to Hong Kong and, you know, reflection, culturally I was working with Hong Kong Chinese people, with Japanese people, a real big shock culturally because those people are completely different to the way we are in the UK. Okay, so come on, you and explain know, that. Well, face as we call it is extremely important and mm. I, I've got very fond memories of a time when I got fairly emotional as a UK person. You know, sometimes we lose our temper, get excited, <laughs> and you know, sometimes that you can see that you get your own way a bit better because people listen to you because you've now got emotional. Of okay,
1: course, so these in, are all leadership
2: skills, yes? <laughs> in the Japanese culture, what I found was getting emotional was just not the thing to do at all. I got emotional with a Japanese colleague who okay. made a mistake on more than one occasion. Right. I did what I might do in the UK, got, got emotional, got excited with him. But in the Japanese culture, I'd lost control. and So as far as he was concerned, he lost all respect for me and he literally would not talk to me for nine months. I go in in the morning, good morning Hashiguchi-san, which is mister in Japanese, and he would not acknowledge me. And a massive learning curve, you know, the culture from the UK, you can't take to a foreign country necessarily.
1: So Colin, you have any experience of that?
0: Um, I didn't, cultural difference, um, my, the company I work for at the moment um, has a strong Indian bent to it, and something you learn um, is in Indian culture, um, they won't say no. So you could be talking, you'll have a, a culture, a, sometimes a language, whichever, you know, anybody that's not English, for the people in this room, um, if you're talking to somebody, there's a, a language element, but, and, but English is well-spoken in, in India. Um, but they, they'll, by not saying no, you think you've agreed something and the next morning what you agreed wasn't quite what the other person had in and sometimes they just won't say no and so what the the, the way around that is um, to empower people you talk to so it's really important i won't always be writing this conversation it's really important you call me out if you either don't understand it or you disagree and then recap at the end of the conversation ask them to tell you what you've agreed Right. A bit like in the army, like. I yeah, I mean, I'd,
3: I had similar experiences. I worked in um, in Dubai for about five and a half years, and the the workforce there is is predominantly Asian, and i had exactly the same thing. And it can have quite quite significant safety consequences if you get the, the nod of the head, yes, I understand, and um, and then they don't understand. Right, which which brings me nicely
1: um, to biggest leadership challenges any of you have had, perhaps
0: regrets, mistakes. I set up a company in um, in '93, which is an IT company. Um, which I grew to 15 million pounds and 100 people. So those were the good days. And then sector changes, there was a dot-com, there's a whole, it's a long story, basically. And the the, um, the market changed, so I put it into um, administration, and you kind of went through the whole gambit. So a massive success, but a, a massive, massive mistake in that the company isn't around, and kind of looking back on regrets. Uh, and this the thing I tell my kids is kind of, it doesn't matter how busy you're working today or how good it is, Take advantage of it. Try and leverage it because you're in life, and especially the people coming through the business school or the the, um, the university now. Life is going to have twists and turns. It's not going to go to plan. I remember when I was there, there was a kind of a bit of bravado, but equally there was a great piece of me that was unsure about life was going to bring to me. And you're going to get some cul-de-sacs. It's going to be some good times and bad times. But it kind of just keep chugging away, and it will work out in the end. Big successes. What do you look back on and think, Lord, that was great. <laughs> I'm going
1: to hang my hat on that one to tell the grandkids.
3: I mean, I, th- I think as, as civil engineers, you look at look back at your your, your, your best projects. And Chris mentioned Second Seven Crossing. I worked on the Second Seven Crossing as well. We worked together actually in the same team. We worked on marine work. So, building a bridge across um, uh, a channel with the, the second highest tidal range in the world was a, an immense challenge. So even though it was a many many years ago, 25 years ago, it's still my Biggest, I feel, as my biggest achievement. Great satisfaction to look back and on, enormous satisfaction. And you, you
1: know, 40 years ago, you graduated from here. Mm. Is it the sort of thing you were thinking? I've really got to get involved in something big, or? I
3: think when I graduated, I, th- I think it, I think I thought I'd like to have done. I never imagined that I would have done. I've been extremely fortunate. that I've been involved in a lot of projects, the sort of projects that you read about in in the news. I don't think I ever thought I'd do that. So quite cool. proud of that.
0: It's interesting you're saying, I mean, construction is it's a wonderful place because you always leave a legacy. Um, one of the things is, kind of, what could you do differently going forward? Is every opportunity you get in life, put your hand up. Wherever you work, put your hand up, take on new experiences and try and get yourself exposed with senior people. So as Neil said, if it's a great project that you want to get involved with and you know the top dog in the organisation is championing that, let's say he's the Welsh CEO as a rugby supporter, if you can get and ride on the coattails, I don't mean as a success, you're going to get a better ride because you'll get um, get noticed higher up in the organisation. That's an important one, isn't it, Chris? Always
1: try to say yes to every opportunity that presents itself.
0: Absolutely. You, you've got to
2: look at those things as, as opportunities to learn and develop, haven't you? I mean, you, you asked about brilliant projects. I, mean, I mentioned Blackfriars Station earlier. I just look on that with fantastic you know, memories. You know, It was four years of my life. It was bloody hard work. But um, again, one of the little things I remember is we used to do presentations to the workforce once every three months. We'd take them off-site in batches of 250 people at the same time and we'd present to them, let them know about the great successes we've had over the last three months, but some of the big technical challenges and organisational challenges that kind of come over the future three months. And you'd go on site the following day and the guys would see you, you know, Chris Evans, project director, and the buzz it would give you that all these guys were now, you know, briefed and knew what direction we were all going in as a great team and it just gives you a massive buzz in terms of, you know, leadership and etc.
1: Okay. Buzz. It's really interesting to use that word. It's another consistent word through this leadership, the buzz of leadership. So we're drawing to a close here now. So I'm going to actually ask each of you if you can give me one um, top tip for, for the would be leaders and existing leaders in the, uh, in, the, in the
0: not in a business school. Who wants to go first? Uh, it, quite along the lines of what you said. Um, find out what your boss' objectives are. Find out the objective of your boss. Once you understand what they are, you plug into those and you make sure you are seen to be helping deliver it and then you can go on together. Because you might have your own plan of life and you might have your own appraisal which says this, but unless that aligns with what your boss wants, so whatever he or she is doing, that will help you move on.
3: Yeah, I'd agree with that. One of bit of advice someone gave me a long, long time ago is always try and do your boss's job. So try and do your line manager's job because he's never going to say no.
2: If someone (laughs) says to me, Neil,
3: I could do that for you fantastic go away and do it and that's a really good bit of advice
2: okay Chris I think be willing to take a bit of risk you know don't be afraid to put yourself out there and just go for it you know every now and then you'll have a little bit of a knock and you might you know fail but generally you'll you'll go for it and, and you'll succeed you've, j- you've just got to go for it Christopher,
1: this has been a great conversation a great leadership conversation Chris um, Neil Colin thanks very very much for your time. on the business leaders podcast thanks for having thank, you. thank you. thank you
2: if you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with the chair of the FA, Debbie Hewitt, broadcaster and entrepreneur, David Lloyd, and the vice chancellor of Nottingham Trent University, Professor Edward Peck. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.